You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Praise Jesus. God is good. And all the time. One more time. God is good. And all the time. Praise the Lord. Turn to someone sitting right next to you. Say you look good this morning. Say to someone else you look very nice this morning. Welcome to church. All right. While we're standing, pick your Bibles. Open with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verse 7 and 8. You can go to your seats. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. Are you there? It says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Could you, could you bring that down a little bit, please? Thank you. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving beware lest any man spoil you not covered you know on sunday morning or even wednesday or whatever church platforms we put up we we preach about the holy ghost which is important and necessary we preach about prayer we preach about evangelism we preach about holiness righteousness forgiveness we preach about giving. We preach about all of those things. But then there are certain aspects of our lives that we leave for the world to train us. And so many times we read what Paul says here. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And we immediately equate it to doctrine. So speaking about the importance of right doctrine. We equate it to teachings about Christ, and that's correct. But it's not just in teachings about Christ that we can be spoiled with vain deceit. I'm telling you, I did what means, what you may call a, a test sample. I tweeted something during the week. I said, it's a huge red flag if you have a partner who is a firm follower of these books, The 48 Laws of Power and The Art of Seduction. I stand by what I said anyway. I stand by it anyway. People are telling me you need to read the books to, so that you can know when they are using what it is against you. That's not true. You don't need to read it. Many people that have read the books are still manipulated by other people who have read the books. So what are, what are you saying? <laughs> right? But I discovered something. The way a lot of believers carry out their earthly walk is highly determined by the world, not the church. And if we truly, our mission in this church, um, the first time we ever stated it was our vision, rather, is that we, we, want, to, we want to see a culture of people living Christ-centered lives. We want to see all men living Christ-centered lives. But Christ-centered lives doesn't exist in church you see 
A Christ-centered life is a life that takes what is learned in church and applies it out there. And so if your Monday morning does not look like your Sunday morning, something is wrong. Do you understand that? If your Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday looks different from Sunday morning to Sunday 8 a.m. to 12 noon, something is wrong. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening in the body of Christ. Because a lot of people, you know, a number of things. Another um, tweet I did about one time I went somewhere, I got angry, lost my code. The Holy Spirit corrected me and I corrected myself and I realized that, oh, there was pride that needed to be walked on. And I started working on the pride. And then a lot of people are like, so are you trying to tell us that if someone tramples us on the foot, we should allow them? And I'm like, was Jesus a joke to you? when he said if they slap you turn the other cheek he didn't mean words he meant what he said and so i think that we ought to have media team by now you should have fixed that sound if you if you still can't hear it then something is wrong we ought to have meetings in the local assembly that address pertinent but mundane issues. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think as far as mundane issues go, I think the best we do is relationship seminars. Right? But I remember one time, a church I used to go to, they held this business for their midweek services for a month. They did this career and business direction thingy. And there was a lot of backlash. Why are you talking about business in church? In church, you should only talk about the gospel and Christ and him crucified. But if the believer is into learn business in church amongst other believers, where should they learn it from? And so we have believers who speak with tongues, can pray long hours, but are extremely dubious in business. Because we've left them to philosophies and vain deceit. Many believers are taught you must have faith, you must have faith, you must have faith. But we are not taught practically how faith works in our everyday life. So we know there is such a thing as faith. But what do I do when I want to start a business and then I need capital of about a million naira? And you're asking me to have faith. How do I go about that? How does faith work? That's the reason why we have so many issues in the body of Christ. A lot of people cannot marry what is taught from the pulpit with the lives they live. Does it make sense? Am I saying the truth? They can't marry what is taught on the pulpit with the lives they live. And so, as a church, we are going to become more intentional about that. We would intentionally have meetings um, we would most likely dedicate most of the midweek services for that. But we would have meetings that specifically address real life issues with the principles of God's word. So that you know how to respond per time. All right. And this is one of such meetings. Um, we call this meeting Adelphos. Um, that, that, I think that's the Greek word for fellowship, something like that. Not really fellowship. It's like brotherhood. Yeah, that's the one. And it means, bro- and, and we, we, it's a brothers and sisters meeting. And I didn't prepare a sermon per se 
for this meeting. I have a general direction the Lord will have this meeting go in. But these types of meetings, you don't prepare a sermon for them because you want, what I want from this meeting is I want us all to ask questions that deal with our pain points, right? These are not necessarily relationship questions. I mean, we've done a dating conference. We've done a single person's conference. Yesterday, we had a married people's thingy in the house. So, please, I'm tired. <laughs> but what are certain parts of your life as a Christian that you have dilemmas or conundrums and you don't have anyone to ask those questions. Now for the singles and dating program, we created a link and we kept you anonymous. For this one, you will hold microphone. You will like to use mic and you will like to ask your questions. All right. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Think about it. Think through it. And it doesn't even have to be something happening to you. It can just be a scenario you thought up, you see, or something that you encountered. But there are parts of our lives that, that we, we must not open, we must not give place to vain deceit. And we must not let the world dictate how we go through those things. So, for instance, if you let the world dictate how you do business. Um, so, last night, my sister got us watching a series that just came out and there was a line in the series where the man told his son you are a fool to think you can succeed in this world by being honest many people think like that many including many of you the truth is you've probably never articulated it that way but there is something in your subconscious that believes that if you see anybody who is extremely successful, they were dishonest. They did something dishonest. Subconsciously. It's what makes us talk about women. When we see a lady who is very successful, we say she's a small girl with a big God, if you know what that means. Or we see a guy, a young guy, who is very successful. Now, thanks to tech, we have alternatives. But just like three years ago, when tech wasn't that big and we didn't have so many people making so much money from tech, you see a young guy driving a big car and even with tech now, if you see a young man, maybe a 23-year-old, 24-year-old driving a big Mercedes-Benz, we most likely first think yao yao before we think, oh, he may be a tech bro. You know? Because somewhere... The world has ingrained it in our hearts that you cannot be successful honestly. You must be dishonest to make money. So these are issues we want to take time to address in this meeting. I know what you were expecting from brothers and sisters meeting is that we'll not tell boys that girls told us to tell you to stop leading them on. Then girls, boys told us to tell you to stop forming for them. No, that's not what we're doing today. This is family meeting. And I want to leave the room open for conversations like this one. Conversations around everything. As long as it's a part of your life, um, let's have that conversation. If you would like to start, raise your hand. Okay. Do we have a second microphone? Can we get a second microphone? All right. I'll need someone to pass this mic. Um, 
Dari, um, brother Dari <laughs> raised his hand. So. Uh, praise God, church. Hallelujah. Okay, so um, I have a question. And it has to do with sexuality and a Christian's response. So I've had experiences with people that actually, I can say at least from my little experiences with them, fervent in the things of God and all. And I know two that have come to say, I don't think I'm attracted to someone of the opposite sex. I don't think I'm heterosexual. I feel I'm homosexual. Um, in those moments, those, that ex those experiences, I have been, what is the word? I have been short of words exactly of exactly what to say. I know that as a Christian, you are not necessarily supposed to judge. As a Christian, you might want to be show a little bit of empathy, first of all, before having to respond. But how exactly are Christians supposed to, first of all, respond to Christians that are homosexual? And then secondly, how are Christians supposed to respond to the world now? By the time you get to the workplace, by the time you get out, you now begin to see people that are actually homosexual. How are you going, supposed to respond? Like it was funny, Didi collected the mic. All right, those are two actual different questions, right? And um, let me start like this. To the world, we don't have a response to homosexuality in the world. We have a response to sinfulness generally in the world. And that response is the salvation gospel, right? So it isn't proper for a believer to respond to um, you're not homosexual, but to respond to, I, I had to clarify, this world that we live in, we, people can, like, someone can watch this clip later and say, wait, who is that lady that he put his hand on? It's possible that he put his hand because she has told him something. She is not. Anyway, to respond to um, a homosexual unbeliever with respect to his sexuality, we have no business doing that. Say, stop being homosexual. We don't have any business with that. What we need to do is preach the salvation gospel to the homosexual unbeliever as we will preach it to the heterosexual unbeliever. They are first unbelievers, right? That's the major problem we are trying to solve. Your unbelief. Does that make sense? Now, when it comes to believers, two things. Number one, remember that... <laughs> Homosexuality doesn't take the believer to hell. And what I mean by that, because it's, that's, that sounds like an extreme statement, so let me give, give some balance to it. When you have a believer who is truly trying to quit the struggle with homosexuality, he or she would once in a while fall for it. Do you understand? And we must first preach the gospel of grace, that God's grace, God loves you 
even with your flaw. Do you get this? This is important because, and now leads me to the second point. Homosexuality is a sexual temptation like every other sexual temptation. Let me clarify now. Anybody who says homosexual people are born homosexual is either naive or a hypocrite. Because if I tell you pedophiles are born pedophiles, you won't agree. You will not agree. Should I stop talking? Are they sexual orientations or not? <laughs> will you agree that a pedo... Where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? It's common sense, please. I had this conversation on one Philly station queue. I've queued for fuel in my life. <laughs> so, I think a couple of months ago, I think this was like, when did, what was, do you remember the month? That Philly, that one that we queued like six hours. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was in the Philly station for like, we were standing. The whole, Pastor Dan left me. <laughs> now you know the people that Small thing. <laughs> anyway, Pastor Dan, Pastor Dan and I went to go and buy fuel. Then he left me there. After like 45 minutes, Pastor Dan went. <laughs> then I went on to queue for six hours. And so while I was there, I, I started talking to people on the line. Because it's what I do. I'm a preacher. And so the conversation entered homosexuality. And then the guy starts to give the whole defense of these people are born with their sexual orientation. It's all they've known all their lives. And I'm like, look, I... I understand what you are saying. doesn't mean I agree, but I understand what you are saying. But where do we draw the line? Minor attracted persons, which is what they like to be called now. Minor attracted persons claim to be born that way. And the truth is that and this is why as a society, we must know the implication of what we are saying when we are saying it. Because in this society, innocent words may have dangerous implications. So you must know the implication of what you are standing when you are standing it. Say, so don't worry, I'm for everyone. I believe in inclusivity. I believe in... Mm -mm, mm -mm. Where do you draw the line? And you think I'm going too far by mentioning pedophilia. But look around you. There's so much sex education happening for children. Why? In some states in the United States, the age of consent has been lowered, I think, to 12. 12. 12 years. 12. 12. When you were 12 years, you are probably in just 2. 12. You are permitted... You So... They now trust you. By 12 years old, you don't yet know how to... You still used to wear your right socks on your left. You, you mix your shoes up and your sandals up 12 years, but they, they trust you enough to consent to bearing a child, having sex. We must know the implication of things that we agree to. So all this talk about... And I'm, I'm going this route because we must first agree that it's a problem. Is not innocent. Don't say they are not doing anything to anybody. What they stand for opens many doors that you can't close. If you let the snake into your house, you don't tell it where to go. Listen, I can make so many arguments. And 
every, with every argument I make, you will say you are going too far. Until you sit down and think about it. I was born, not me, please, not me. I was born with attraction for the same sex, for men like me. But I was born that way. That's the argument, right? All right, another argument. I was born with an attraction for violent sex. So rape is the only form of sex I can do. Let's fight for inclusivity now. Where do we draw the line? Like, why are we laughing? Like, it's not a problem. Where do we draw the line? I was born with an attraction for children. Where do you now say? How? You cannot, you cannot be objective and say, you are right, but you are wrong. You can't. You say they are harming children, but now the age of consent is 12 years and the child says, I want it. Where do you draw the line? So, first of all, we must first agree that it is a sexual temptation, just like pornography and masturbation is, is a temptation. That's what it is. Now, when you know it is a temptation, you will address it like a temptation. No believer should draw his identity from his sexual orientation. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is a lie from the pit of hell. Because no heterosexual woman or male goes about identifying themselves as heterosexual. But once you switch to the... You now want to identify... That's what your identity has become. You are not more than that. That's what defines you. These are things that we must have. So this conversation is not as linear as we think it is that, oh, it's a sin. Let's just stop. No, we must first, there are many things to talk about. The devil is so smart. The, the conversation opens up so many doors that we don't even know. Let me tell you another one that many of you don't know. A lot of people who identify as homosexual today do it out of peer pressure. I didn't say everyone. Some people genuinely have a struggle. Many people, it is peer pressure. It is called social engineering. It's peer pressure. It's the cool thing. It's the cool thing. Someone was telling me about someone in their office that identifies as a witch. Then she got into trouble and met her friend to pray for her. So our Lord Jesus Christ. Out there, she doesn't love Jesus. She's anti-God. She's woke. She's owing money. Please, I need prayers. It's peer pressure. We must talk about things like that. I'm going to be so unpopular after this message. So how do you address a believer who is struggling with a sexual identity? The first thing is to reassure the believer that God loves him and he or she is not defined by their sexual struggles. Do you understand? Don't make one part of your life all of your life. Number two, um, we must establish. Because there's this way we treat sexual temptation. Like, don't worry, God loves you. And that's where we stop. No, we must establish that it is wrong. Mm -mm. God loves you, but it is wrong. And this is not just for homosexuality. If you are struggling with pornography and masturbation, God loves you very much you are not going to hellfire because christ has died for you but guess what we're wrong 
is wrong. Do you hear me? Oh. So you establish that. Then when you've established those two things, every other way we deal with sexual um, with temptations generally, remove triggers, um, stay in environments that help you grow, be accountable, all of those things you can now start working towards. But anybody that tells you that, oh, and our society, see, if there's anything we are good at is giving funny names to things that are not good. So when I'm talking like this, now somebody will see me, hear me and say, it's conversion therapy. I'm trying to get him out of who he really is. Kai, when did we start behaving like this? So somebody wakes up, he's a man, he has X and Y chromosomes. Scientifically, he decides, now I'm a woman. And I was watching an interview with this guy. And then the guy said, pregnant people. Then he corrected himself and said, mothers. And then the woman he was talking to said, no, 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 no. The appropriate term is pregnant people. And then he's like, how? And then the woman goes, what if the pregnant person does not identify as a woman? And the guy goes, so you believe men can get pregnant? And she says, yes. And then there's this black maid who always sleep to. It only takes a few syllables for you to call people by what they identify as. So the guy goes, so you think my morality is skewed because I refuse to call a man a woman and a woman a man. And she goes, yes. And then the guy says, well, what I identify as is the one who is correct in this argument. And she says, no. Then he goes, it only takes a few syllables since we are all mad let's be mad (laughs) if there's no objective truth then what's the point (laughs) so again I may be very unpopular (laughs) what I'm saying I don't really care (laughs) let's let's be honest with ourselves okay so when you're talking to your friends they have all of those things don't let them get sold the vain deceit that is conversion therapy if you are helping. Listen, there are many people who have struggled with homosexual tendencies, with those feelings, with that temptation, and they've come out of it. Very good book I, will, I will recommend for you. Good girl, um, good God, gay girl, There's a, The Arrangement, Jackie Hill Perry, wrote a great book about it. Go and read it. But please, in Jesus' name, don't castigate somebody because they have homosexual tendencies. Um, because you too, you struggle with your own sexual temptations. Many people have. But then, at the same time, identify the problem as a problem. Don't call what, don't say it is not a problem, that is not a big deal. It is, it is a big deal. All right? God doesn't judge you by it. God doesn't castigate you for it. God still loves you in spite of it. And this is for the believers. But at the same time, like we must come to that place where we know that it is okay to assure a person of our love and God's love and still correct the person sternly. And no, the Bible doesn't say do not judge. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. It says judge not so that you will not be judged. And there is a context for that. It says because with the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. 
So what does it mean? He now says, you that you say to your brother, um, take out the speck of wood in your eye. But there's a log of wood in your own eye. So when Jesus was saying, judge not that you may not be judged, what Jesus was saying is, if you have the same problem, don't go about pointing fingers. Jesus did not say, don't identify people's problems. No. In fact, there is a teaching in scripture. He says, if a man sees his brother commit sin, he says, you should go to him and try to restore him. If he should refuse, Jesus said, take another brother and go to the brother and try to restore them. If after two of you have gone and he still refuses, present him to the church, leadership of the church. If the church talks to him and he refuses, this was Jesus' um, prescription. He says, cast him out. He says, whosoever you bind, whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Do you know the context of that scripture is not demons? Do you know? Matthew 18, Matthew 18, 18. I think it's Matthew 18, 18. This concept of, oh, I can't, I'm not in a position to tell you you are wrong. You're, that's not the truth. You are in every position to identify the person's wrong. He says, verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bound and bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We've used this scripture to do deliverance too many times. Now, context. Context is king, right? Take me back four verses, please. Next verse. Moreover, if thy brother, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his faults between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. Next verse. But if he will not hear you, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses is every truth established. Next verse. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Are you seeing this? But if he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man. Do you know what heathen man is? A sinner outside and a publican. Then verse 18. For whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What Jesus was saying is, if your brother refuses to hear the church and the church treats your brother as an outsider, in heaven it is registered. Ha. Huh. <laughs> So how about that for don't judge? Can you say that context is very important? Uh-huh. So you, you should, you ought to identify your brother's mistakes. So this whole culture where we say, oh, don't call out people's flaws. Just be there to support and encourage. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Because if you will be honest, you will know that if you are going to help your brother, sometimes what your brother um, needs is not support or encouragement. Sometimes it's a stern discouragement. Say, don't go there. Don't do it. I will not allow you to do this. Do you hear what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So, you can love on your friend, on your brother in Christ who's struggling with their sexual tendencies. Love them with all your heart and still correct the problem. And the truth is, when you love them with all your heart, and you are, a lot of people think that correcting in love means correcting kindly. No. Correcting in love means, first of all, there is a love you have for the person. The love you have for this person will inspire the way you correct them. There are some things you don't correct kindly. 
Am I saying the truth? Some things you don't stroke the person's ego, say, no, stop it now. No, now, don't behave like that now. Something says, stop, stop it now. Stop it. I don't want to ever hear that you call that guy again. Stop it. That's correcting in love. It's also love. I'm done. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've got a question. All right, I have someone over here. You know what? Let's take Victor Akan and then we'll take Isabel. Oh, I didn't see Anne's hand. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to take... Okay, you know what? There's a microphone here now. Hmm? So Victor, Anne, then Isabel. Victor, please come. If you're coming, you would have to run because you're keeping the entire body of Christ waiting. That's it. Jog it up. Thank you. All right, my question is, um, so concerning this um, transgender thing, uh, so I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask, um, when I see a, a man that says a woman, <laughs> there's a way it used to do, like there's this irritation I get. <laughs> there's this irritation I get in my heart. So I wanted to ask, um, is it right? And if it isn't, how do I deal with it? If you feel irritated at anybody's appearance, especially because they are transgender, you are transphobic. <laughs> and it is in itself a sin. You can't hate people. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can't hate people. You can't. You are not allowed to. It's a paradox to be a Christian that hates people. Have I, have I confused you guys? No, I, I haven't confused you. I've told you. Stop trying to put people into little boxes. The person that identifies as transgender is more than transgender. He has or she has many parts to their lives. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let me tell you. If you don't learn this thing, you won't know how to evangelize to people. You walk on the streets and you see... Do you know how many times... Yes, I think Isabel, Isabel, you were with us. Were you there? Was it Isabel or you? When um, you, we went out for the evangelism, times when we saw people who, nobody, when you see these people from afar, they identify as touts. That's what they are. They don't have any other identity but touts. If you don't know what touts means, they are really... These are the people that when you are doing evangelism, you warn your people that this person no near them you go, you speak two seconds of God's love to them. They've broken down. They're crying. They're speaking in tongues. You must learn to look beyond what people look like. You must. You can't, you can't hate people. You can't. You can't be homophobic. You can't be transphobic. What's another one? You can't be queerphobic. You can't be phobic to people. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? So, if you find out that that is the way you are, then, like every other person and every other, you must cry to God and say, God, help me. Help me to see this person as a human being. Because what is going on is that you don't see the person as a human being. You see the person as a sexual orientation. You don't look past the person's um, sexual orientation to seeing that this is a human being who Christ died for. You don't do that. Another thing that is funny is, well, let me not go there, but 
You can't hate people. You just can't. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? You can't hate people. You can't hate. Listen, train your mind. And this is not just for transgender people. This is for the times you're driving by in the night and you see ladies of the night standing on the road, you know, looking all fine and attracting people to, you know, buy their market. And there is this moral superiority that we feel like, hmm, just wasting her life. No, you can't be that person. You must see that this is a woman that Christ died for. Before I even go into emotional blackmail, because some people, well, how they preach this thing is emotional blackmail. They'll say, what if she's doing it to support her family and her two sons that are now three years old each? They were born differently, but one waited for the other. Now they're now both three. <laughs> you know, you can't, there's that. But first and foremost, this is someone that Christ died for. This is beyond, this person is more than their sexual orientation, what they identify as. He's more than gay. She is more than homosexual. She is more than trans, um, transgender. She is somebody that Christ died for. That's your first predisposition towards anybody. Listen, not just for the transgender, for the brother and sister beside you, for the conductor in the bus, for the cleaner in the office, for the person who serves you, for the taxify guy that drives. You must first see them as human. Do you hear what I'm saying? We have this culture, this mindset where we um, define people by the little we know about them. I think um, there's a way Chimamanda Adichie put it. I think she called the danger of a single story. You don't see the person beyond the little you know about them. So you see a taxify guy driving and you don't see him beyond that taxify that is driving. You go to the market, you want to buy something for someone from someone and you don't see that person beyond what they are selling. You must first see and identify this person as human. And you can train yourself. You really can. One way I trained myself was I learned to call everybody sir and ma. Good afternoon, sir. Thank you, sir. The, the um, security man at the gate opens the door for me and he says, welcome, sir. And I say, thank you, sir. You too, sir. Now, in that way, I'm training my mind to afford him the same respect I would afford his boss. And that one's boss. Do you get what I'm saying? Good. So you can train yourself. Let me tell you something, a practical step you take. The next time you see somebody who is transgender and living a sinful life, instead of going, Yama, what's this? Take a minute and pray. God, thank you because this person is going to come to know you. Thank you because this person's salvation is on the way. I may, not be, I may not be the person to bring it because I'm not near this person, but their salvation is on the way. Slowly but surely, your mind will start to get it, that this person is beyond their sexual orientation. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. All right, Anne. And Victor, thank you for being honest and open about that question. I really appreciate it. All right, I think 
And thank you for staring this conversation away from where it was before. <laughs> I think the first thing we need to learn, because I've, I've, I've evangelized a couple of Muslims before, is when you are evangelizing to a Muslim, it's not just about doctrine and logic and Christ being the way. Many Muslims, especially Muslims that come from devout families, will lose their family if they join Christianity. Many of them will die. They stand the risk of being killed for joining Christianity. Some families, because they love the person so much and they don't want to kill the person, they disown them. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so when you are preaching to a Muslim, um, make sure that you are not just um, trying to score a point. Be human and look for where those pain points are. So for instance, what you've just said is valid. If, if you've been dating someone for six years, you are thinking of a future with this person. So what, what is your future going to look like if you've switched religion? This means that you have to give her some level of assurance that her life can still pan out well and properly if she, if she does decide to become a Christian. Do you understand what I'm saying? But we must never preach to people like we're trying to score points. Say, oh, okay, I, I just preached a Muslim and like that. He has been saying, in fact, I've gotten so skillful at it, it takes me 10 minutes to do it now, you know. We must always take time to identify what the pain points are and be patient, all right? Remember when I was teaching prayer projects, I told you, you should learn to take people as projects, which means you will be patient. And then finally, evangelism without prayer is a very disastrous, is a disastrous attempt. Make sure you spend a lot of time praying about this person. What you are trying to use logic to do, the power of God can. I was reading a book this, this week by Reinhard Bonke, and he was sharing a story of this man who was a member of the Jehovah's Witness. And this guy liked to put up an argument with him, you know, every time concerning the Christian faith. And for those of you who are confused, no, they are not Christians. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ came as God and died and was raised from the dead, you are not a Christian. Does that make sense? And they don't believe that anyway. So technically speaking, not technically speaking, they are not Christians. So this guy would always come up and put up an argument with him. And he was always public. He would sit on the streets trying to evangelize to people playing. He used to play this accordion so he's playing his accordion and trying to talk to people and then when this guy would wait then he would see a crowd gather and then he would come and start arguing with him every day and he, at some point he wanted to start avoiding the guy but the holy spirit asked him to keep going and so he started praying for this guy praying for this guy and he would argue and argue and no matter what he said there's this way they argue when you corner them in a place and you say okay what's the answer to this they will tell you we'll get back to you and then they will go for a while. Then they will come back and never attend to 
the last question you asked them. So that was always happening to this guy, between him and this guy. So he's talking to the guy and the guy is not listening and he's praying for the guy and he's praying for the guy and he's praying for the guy. And then one day he's done preaching. The guy walks from the crowd and says, lead me to Christ. And so he does a top double take like, any pay? And the guy goes, I just for the first time heard you preach and I realized Jesus is really the way. He had preached to this guy every day for months. And the guy didn't listen. What changed? Prayer. Prayer just worked on the guy's heart. So spend some really good time praying about that lady in question. All right, next question. Um, okay, so I'll take your question, then your question. But Isabel's, Isabel's next. So I have you, then you, then you. Wow. Just put your hands down, ladies and gentlemen. I will get to everybody as fast as I can. Let's hear your question, Isabel. Isabel, okay. All right. So number one, friendship. Discipleship should be friendship. Do you hear what I'm saying? Discipleship should be friendship. One major reason why new converts don't take the um, Christian gospel seriously is because when we ask them to detach from a life that they are used to, we leave them in limbo. So you've left all your friends, you've left all the people that you used to roll with, and then now you want to start following this Christ, but there's nobody to talk to, you are always lonely, and then the people who asked you to leave your former friends, they now treat you like, you know how we want, we, we want to all be man of God, you know? There's some words I don't like to use, say, my disciple, I really hate. I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. But it, it should be friendship. There should be accessibility. There should be friendship. There should be care. This is the reason why in this church we always advocate. If you're going to follow anyone up, it must be someone of the same sex, same gender, so that friendship does not become something else. So it should be actual friendship, actual um, being there. If you are there with the person, it solves a good percentage of your problems because now your own fervor can rub off. You can pray with the person. You can play with the person. The person can actually learn to have good fun that is clean and devoid of, you know, worldly habits. So friendship is how to do discipleship. Good friendship. All right. Um, you raised your hand. You, yeah, you. Please come forward. And grab the mic. Then Eden, you go after her. Pastor Fee, I love you, but um, then I would have you. I, f I forget your names. Please forgive me. Praise the Lord. Is that mic on? Hi. Okay. So I have two questions. Um, First of all, how do you, how am I going to put it now? Where do you draw, draw the line to office politics? Because um, I think I've heard you say, um, politics is not bad, though. Just do the good one, don't do the bad one. Now, what if you have an instance where the politics you should be playing is the one that has to do with um, pulling people down or doing a few hanky-panky here and there just to please some people? And I know that prayer is the key, actually. We are asked to pray. 
Meanwhile, while you are praying, these things are happening and it's affecting you a lot because it looks like you are now the enemy to the clique of people that are supposed to promote you. So they are making it look like, in fact, like they are directly telling you, and see, if you don't do I service, you are not going anywhere. That kind of thing. So that's my first question. How to draw the line? Even when you are praying, how do you now handle the pressure? Then the second one is um, how best to monitor rape victims. So um, I have a story, or I have something to share. I once, should I say counsel? I won't say counsel because me, Steph, I was a child when I was doing it. So um, I, ha I had someone that was raped, I think some years back. So this happened right when we were coming from prayers. So it's not like we didn't, we were, not, we were caught in prayer. Let me put it that way. Then she was going home and she got raped. Now, when they finally found her, we had to take her to the hospital and everything. So I had to monitor her closely. We were praying. I think that year, I sacrificed, that week, I sacrificed a lot. I was supposed to go to some places. I didn't I had to stay with her. And she kept on asking that why was God wicked to her? Why did it have to happen to her? And at that point in time, I kept on saying, God has a reason for everything. <laughs> so, okay, I was praying, I was preaching, I was there. It's not like I was not there. But the thing is that it affected her a lot. And I think a few months after that, the lady committed suicide. And the day before we met, we spoke, we were talking very well. She sounded normal and okay, we're very fine, but she committed suicide, she left a note. So I want to, those are my two questions. How best? Because this week I actually prayed, I fasted, I prayed, I talked, I said everything. All right. Okay, thank you. So two things um, about office politics. I think the first thing you should have in, in your mind, because your question sounds like, how can I eat my cake and have it? You must realize that if you are going to stand for what is right all the time, you must be ready to let go of certain pleasures and things. The mindset that because I stood for what is right, things will work out, you know. The way they have shown it in the movies, then uh, maybe you stood for what was right. Then the boss that wanted to fire you, something then happened, and he was now the one that was fired. Then you were now the one that was promoted. It doesn't happen in real life like that all the time, <laughs> right? Sometimes the truth is God can work in that way. And if he does, um, yay. But one of the reasons why we pray, and I taught this when we were doing school of prayer, one of the reasons why we pray is... There is a mindset that we have that I may not have complete control of the way my life works and runs. And so sometimes I will experience setbacks. But I can trust that God who is in heaven is able to take the setbacks and make something good out of it. And so if um, the options in my workplace is, you know, compromise seriously or leave. I must always be ready to say I'm leaving. You know what I'm saying? I must be ready to say I'm leaving, even if it will affect me in a hard way. I'm leaving. I'm looking for somewhere else. Knowing fully well that I have prayed and God is able to make the best come out of that situation. First answer. The second one is, and which is actually the actual one I want to talk about a lot. If you are talking to someone who has been molested sexually, 
Resist the urge to sermonize. I'm a preacher. Right? I'm preaching. But resist the urge to sermonize. Resist the urge to say things like, God has a plan. God gives and takes. I think when somebody has gone through something traumatizing, we ought to let them grieve. And I think that's, that's where we, we, that's one thing that we don't do so well. We ought to let them grieve. What does that mean? It means if they get to a place where they're asking, why did God let me go through this? Especially if it is still a fresh problem, just keep quiet. Let, let them ask. Many times, they're not asking those questions because they don't believe in God. They're asking those questions because they're looking for someone to blame for what has happened to them. And God is not in heaven saying, how can you blame me? I've been so good to you. I've been everything but good. He's a father. He understands where he or she is at the moment. And so there should be room for just allowing the person grieve and giving the person some space and time to grieve. Now, while they are grieving, there are some assurances you must make them. Number one, no one else is to blame for what happened but the people who raped you. Not you, not your parents, not what you were wearing. No one else is to blame for what happened except these people. And I know you think, and we know that, but we don't say it enough. Many times we, we say it in passing or we say it once and stop. It's something people need to hear all the time. Then there also has to be um, a lot of being there for the person. So being there for the person doesn't necessarily mean live your life, drop everything you are doing and be in their immediate space. In fact, that might worsen things, especially if the person starts to now feel like they are a burden on you. So being there for the person just means letting the person know that I'm here when you need me. At the slightest instance, call me. And then finally, please, if you have to crowdfund for this, get the person to see a therapist. Please. It is more than spiritual. There is an emotional, psychological aspect to this. When our bodies are hurt, we pray about it, but I still insist. Go and see a doctor. Do you understand? We believe in miracles, but at the same time, we do not, um, we do not neglect the process of things, of the process of healing. And so, if you, if you need to crowdfund to get this person to see a therapist, let the person see a therapist. Let him or her go and talk to someone. And there are so many things that a therapist is trained to unearth that we can't, you know, except the Holy Ghost tells you to ask a particular question. And even sometimes the Holy Ghost should tell you to ask a question. The question is weird, so you don't ask it. So you're not able to unearth and help the way you should. And so I, I think um, that, aside from praying and, you know, praying about the situation, let there be some room for healing to take place. And that room for healing to take place starts from you giving the person space to grieve, allowing the person know that nobody is to blame, and then Almost more importantly, 
seeing a therapist. Let me hear your question. You don't have a question anymore. No, please. Why shall you shy? Yeah, they're clapping for you now, so. All right, please pass the microphone to her. Thank you, sir. Good morning, sir. Okay, I have a question. At my workplace, um, I work in a production company, and my boss has been harassing me. My boss has been harassing me. So, <laughs> so it's. I thought it was just a joke, like just joke kind of thing. So I now it's now getting serious and that. So I explained to my supervisor, like I need a transfer to another department because I don't think I'm comfortable working here at this media stuff again. So she she worked it out for me and I was transferred to the finance department. So one week later, he saw me at the finance department and was wondering what am I doing there. And he, he was trying to like, I should come back to where I was, because I'm with PA and executive assistant. That's the two job I'm working for him. So, my supervisor was like, I explained to her, but the way she talked to him, she was like, leave her, let her stay there. So he was like, no, is that she come back or she, she leave that, that. So I'm still in the finance department. That's what we are still working on. That's one. Then the second question is, I have someone, a friend of mine, she's struggling with an habit, a lesbian. So she has spoken to me about it. And I was like, Are you, okay, we prayed, we've prayed, 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 and she's still trying to stop it, but it's not, you know, it's not like stopping. So I'm even tired, Chef, like, we don't pray. It's not working. But Mali, me, don't go in place. <laughs> so that's it. Thank you, sir. Things they occur. And <laughs> anyway, let me start by saying this. Where you work, do you have HR? Have you reported to HR? Just nod or say or shake your head. You have reported to HR and HR couldn't do anything. Okay. What? They spoke to him and he lied, Norma. Start applying to other places, please. Uh, it's unfortunate that that's where we have to come to, right? But if we lived in an ideal society, I would have said, get the police involved. But who are we kidding? <laughs> Start applying to other places. Um, please. It's, um, I apologize on behalf of him, but please apply to other places put out your CV and trust God to work it out for you as best as he can. All right. And if you think you are not qualified for jobs anywhere else, and you feel like this is the only place I can work. No, it's not. I promise you. And we just pray that God's favor will be made available for you 
when it's time. We ideally, what you should do is report to the authorities. But you reported to HR, he lied, and you didn't have any proof against him. By the time you report to the authorities, it might be worse. He might end up putting you in prison because of money and all of that. And so um, this is less than an ideal solution, but it, it so happens to be the proper solution. Your friend that is struggling with um, um, her sexual tendencies, does she belong to a local church? Does she go to church frequently? You see, you can't grow beyond your local... I, I keep telling people this thing. God's strategy for your growth is in the local church. So, there is... You don't solve a problem by talking about the problem. Especially when it comes to all these sexual tendencies. The solution is not really telling them, stop now, let's stop this thing now. No. The solution is an exposure to... If a wholesome doctrine, not just on sexuality, but on grace, on giving, on fellowship, it just, there's a way it starts to realign your heart and set your mind right. Do you, you get what I'm saying? So if, if you really want to help her, get her committed in a good local church. Sometimes, the, the truth is this, when you devote yourself to proper spiritual growth the way it should be the temptation will still be there but the power to overcome will be greater do you understand what i'm saying so all of us in this church have at one point in time in the last few months been tempted with things that we used to do before but many of us have discovered that before i, I didn't have the power to say no Right? I was weak in face of this temptation. But over time, I found myself making a choice not to fall for it. And I didn't fall for it. I'm actually doing a lot better now. You see, I'm growing. And that's what's important. We oftentimes expect people who struggle with these things to snap out of it. No. What we should expect is for them to grow beyond it. Grow out of it. Which means... We need to give them room for good spiritual growth. Does that make sense? So, if it means her attending a good Bible church where they take the following things seriously, they take the Word of God seriously, they take prayer seriously, they take the flow of the Spirit seriously. See those three things? If she can be there, be planted there, she will find, she would see some results. I promise you. All right. Eden, you had a question. I'll, I'll take Eden's question, then I'll take Favor's question, then I'll take PF's question, and that's the end. Thank you. Hi, Eden. Let me see that. Is, is it on? Hello. All right. I have two questions. Um, I don't like inactivity. I like... Um, facing challenges, I like I like results systems, like reward systems. And then, you know, so I, the Holy Spirit has been teaching me to be patient even in inactivity, because there's a difference when you know that oh, something is happening and we're just waiting for it to click. And there's a difference when nothing is going on and you just have to be patient. And case study here is like exams. I mean, exams is an activity, but the reward system is so blurred, especially when it's like, oh, 
you just grades and a certificate I might never use. But at the same time, you have to do it. You have to get so focused. And I'm so focused on the exams that like, you know, every other thing, I'm not, I'm distracted. I can't do any other thing. And it's, it bothers me because I can't study as much. I can't even pray as much because I have to study for exams. And now exams are ending and I don't know how to switch back into, you know, the activities that actually give me that joy. And then my um, second question is for like unconventional ministries, say people who feel like, or people who know like they would have to like, you know, go into ministries that have to do with like addicts, whatever kind of addiction, especially like drugs or like the entertainment, people in the entertainment like industry where, you know, they want to like create spaces where Christians can have fun. They want to do events. How do you draw the line? How do you, I mean, yes, he who lives in New Britain and all of that, but how do you make sure that, because if you're dealing with addicts, there are times that, and I noticed that addicts, a lot of them have gotten to points where they are even more open-minded to hear about Jesus. They want to know because they, they've gone, they've gotten to the point of themselves where they are like, I know Rich, there's nothing good about me. I need, I know that I need help. And you see them just in and out of rehabs. So if you come and you preach Jesus, they are open. But, you know, you as a person who is doing ministry, how do you protect yourself? All right. Those are two very important questions. I, I tend to be like that, like the first one where you get so focused on one thing and you blank every other thing out. If you are like that, raise your hand. And then you finish that other thing and then you're like, okay, let's go back to where we were before. You're like, how do we? And what I have discovered is systems and structures. So for instance, if you know it's exam season, and I have a tendency to um, get so focused on reading my reading for my exams that I, I don't pray and I don't study. What you can do is decide. When I was in school, this was one thing I did, for instance. After every paper, the paper just finished. I just literally just stepped out of the exam hall. I would go to where we used to call the hatred ground then and i will spend some time praying because i know that once the paper is done typically we usually take about one two three hours to unwind from the paper then we jump right back into reading so i borrow from those one two three hours to go and pray so i would usually i'll typically finish my paper and then i i made it a culture i made it a, a thing immediately after papers I'm going to pray. I'll just walk to the hatred ground, spend 30 minutes, one hour, pray in tongues, pray as much as I can. Then go and unwind, play game, sleep, eat, wake up and jump right back into reading. Of course, I know that in this season, I may have to sacrifice some other things because I have to exalt some other things, which means I may not pray as much as I want to, but this doesn't mean that I won't pray at all. You know what I mean? So um, just systems and structures really to, to maintain some of those things in place. Those systems and structures can be friends. It can be people around you that, okay, can we pray every day by XYZ time? Or can we do this together by this time? It would really, really help. Um, another thing is understand yourself and understand what helps you focus? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Understand what helps you focus. Many students can swear that they are great night readers, but they've never tried reading early in the morning. Many of them, you try it the first time, and you're like, my God, where has this brain been all my life? Because it's like your brain is open and everything is just... I discovered this in my fourth year in school. Was it my fourth? My fifth year in school. I, I did six years instead of five because I had an extra year. So my fifth year in school, I discovered... I just decided, you know what? I'm going to read in the mornings. I will read um, when I have time to read, but I'm not going to read at night. I had my best grade in school that year because I did well. Like, I was literally... I would get back to the hostel at night... And I'll be watching movies. And every other person is reading. And they're like, ha, boss. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just know what works for me. All right? So in the morning when I'm reading, I realized something else that worked for me. Before, I just used to read like I'm reading my Bible. Just read it like this. And then cram. A noun is the name of a person, animal, place, or thing. A noun. And that's where I'm cramming it. But I realized if I get A4 sheets, staple them together, and then instead of cramming, I just copy out what I read many times. It will stick. Do you get? So I started doing that. So what I started doing in my, my final year, I had my best result, was I would finish reading on one, I'll finish one set of stapled A4 sheets. Then I'll drop it like I have not read, open the book and start again with another A4 sheet. So when people come and meet me, like, can you I just carry one of the A4 sheets and give them take. Right, so people started reading, they used to call it my cliff notes. People started reading my cliff notes on the subject. So instead of reading the whole thing, they know if they get Poco's A4 sheets, I've read everything, right? And that's why I remembered a lot of things. So understand yourself and what works for you. I, I'm not the type, I can't walk from home. I cannot, I can't walk. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, I, I've tried for many years, I can't. I just, I'm not disciplined enough to sit down in one place in the house for many hours and work. So I got myself an office. Do you understand what I'm saying? So understand what works for you. And then to the second question, um, remind me again, what was it? Just one word. Mil uh -huh. Again, systems and structures. If you are dealing with addicts, make sure that even while you are friends with them, there is a distance between the both of you that doesn't permit them to reach across and drag you into where they are. What do I mean? What I mean is this. For instance, someone comes to meet me and the person says, Poco, I'm struggling with sexual addiction. Now, you are a guy. I'm going to be there with you. I would monitor you with prayers. We'll be accountable to one another and all of that. But I'm never going to permit you to speak about, to joke, you know, bring up sexual jokes around me. Say, you know how it is now. I'm just keeping it real. No, no, no. Don't be real with me. I don't want. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm never going to permit that. In fact, part of pastoring is being available but still giving a distance such that I can be nice to you, and you know I love you. You know you have access to me, but you know that is not everything you can say to me, and not every way you can behave around me, because I won't permit it. It's, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not being strict, or I'm not being. I don't think I'm better than you. 
I just think if my work will be effective in your life, I have to allow for those boundaries. There are some of you that practically live in my house. Practically. Where's Emeka? Hi. I'm not saying that, but I just called his name. <laughs> practically live in my house. And it's fine. I can allow that for some people. Do you understand? Based on, I've observed the way you behave. I've observed the personality type. But some of you, I said hi to you three times, smiled to you. And the next time, my bros, my guy, I'm like, nah. <laughs> I will give you some distance because no. <laughs> I will not be effective in your life this way. Soon, I won't be able to correct you. Because I'm one of your guys. You know what I mean? Uh, so no. I'm telling you, it's, it's something I do. There's a reason I don't hug everybody in church, right? First of all, I don't hug ladies for hug, obvious reasons, right? And then there's a reason why some people I give a pat on the head, some people I just give you a tap on the back. Is I'm just creating some distance, and I'm being honest with you. So if we finish the service and you see me patting your head or tapping, <laughs> you just know why I'm doing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm creating some distance between myself and you that allows for my work to be effective in your life. So you can't tell some jokes around me. Some jokes I can tell to my wife and my closest friends. I can't say them to people outside. Like, you never see me talk like that. Do you get what I'm saying? We must never be that open, especially when we have people to whom we're doing ministry. We must never be that just exposed because when we, when we expose ourselves that way, we don't give room for ministry to happen. The rule is that beyond all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better, of the greater. Which means for oil to flow, it must flow from up to down. Which means that no matter how close I try to keep myself to this person, I must create a gradient between, so that we can allow the flow to remain. If I, if I do it in such a way that you are now on the same level with me, and I'm not saying this level as in socially or even spiritually, I'm just speaking the way we relate with each other must give room for flow. Do you get what I'm saying? It's a very, very tricky thing to do, especially if you are a very open person. I'm quite open. I've played games with most of you before. Especially if you've come to my house, I will endeavor to beat you in FIFA and Mortal Kombat. FIFA, we may struggle, but Mortal Kombat, I will beat you. I'm, a, I'm challenging all of you. Come. All right. So if you come around, I'll play games with you. I'm having fun. We have fun together. But at the same time, right, there has to be that gradient where we don't allow too much familiarity or too much. Do you get what I'm saying? So just create systems and structures. For instance, if you're, if you're dealing with a sex addict that is a guy, you have no business doing that. Do you get? You have no business doing that. Personal experience has taught me a lot. A lady came, she was telling me, she I have so so sexual addiction. I'm like, oh, grace has found. She said, no, pastor, wait. Let me tell you what it is. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And then she goes, to, goes ahead to describe in full detail what type of porn she likes to watch. And so I'm sitting here listening to audio porn. I'm like, what's going on here? And at some point, I just told her, ma, first of all, let's go outside because... This is becoming very uncomfortable. She said, why? I have blood flowing in my veins. I do. <laughs> Let's step outside. One. Two. My wife, she's so great. 
at handling matters like this. If I don't um, send you to my wife, I will send you to PSK. If I don't send you to PSK, I'll send you to Bosola. You're actually going to go somewhere. But I have no work with you. <laughs> so from that time, when a lady comes to tell me, Pastor, I'm struggling with this, I say, God loves you, I love you, but I can't deal with it. Just talk to my wife. All right? God bless you. I can't, I, can't, I cannot deal with it. So, yeah, systems and structures. Who was the next person after Eden? Favor. Our time is already gone. Please don't have two questions. Have one. Because we don't have time again. Okay. So my question is, um, I how do you draw a fine line between compromise and being cordial? So the example I can give is, um, some weeks back, my friends and I were praying in my room every night. So my roommate was around. My roommate is... So the first night we were praying, and then I think the second night and then the third night, I think she was not in a good mood or something. And I was like, oh, we're about to start praying. It's 11. And then she was like, no, not this night, right? And I was like, there's no way we're not going to pray in the room. So eventually they left because they were like, um, so things don't get awkward. But I was like, this is my room. You cannot tell me not to pray in my room. So I lay down on my bed and I faced the wall and I was praying. But she had people in the room as well. And then they were making noise at the first club and I had to turn and be like, please reduce your voice. So eventually God was angry, blah, blah, blah. I had to go and meet her, explain why. So in my mind, I was like, I'm doing this to set it in my mind that I will not compromise for anybody. But then there's also the point of understanding that if we are going to pull people to Christ, we will not make them feel judged or maybe like make, make it seem like I think I'm better than you, right? So I'm like, where is the fine line between not compromising and still being cordial with the person? All right. So let me use your example um, to answer the question. If it is 11 p.m. and it is a room that the both of you paid for, go and pray outside. <laughs> the both of you, you paid for that room. She has every right to silence as much as you have right to make noise in the room. And so if you can't insist that I want to make noise, you have to beg, right? You have to say, can we pray? We want to pray, do you mind? And if she says, I don't mind, then go ahead. But if she says, I do mind, actually, tonight, I do mind. I mean, if she was having a job interview at the time, would you say, I'm not compromising, I'm going to pray now, while she's doing her job interview? So tell us about yourself. <laughs> right? So there's that. Um... I don't think that's a case of compromise. Um, and bless your hearts for praying. It's, it's, it's wonderful that you've kept that devotion um, structure going. But I don't think it's a compromise to say, this is our room. And so we can't just... When I was in school, my fourth year in school, I was roommates with some very interesting boys. No, my fifth year in school. I was roommates with some really, really interesting boys. I mean, OGs. We just call them OGs. These are top guys, man. Like, great guys, but not Christian. Had nothing to do with God. And so I would oftentimes want to hold meetings in my room, call my friends together, and let's pray. But then I would look at the room and I would realize these people 
uh, they have a right to this room as much as I do. I can't make the room uncomfortable for them all the time. And if, I'm, if at all I'm going to make it uncomfortable for them, I must do it within the rights that I have. So for instance, if you wake up early or if you wake up, you're allowed to play music on your laptop. I'm allowed to play messages. Whoever starts playing first has the free way. The other person will wait until you finish. Do you get? So I will wake up really early and play the message. Right, that's the only I can make it uncomfortable for you like that because it's within my rights to do so. But what I can't do is ask my friends to come into the room and then we all start praying together. And then it's 11 p.m. What if I'm an early sleeper? What if I have an early paper tomorrow morning and I want to sleep early because I want to wake up by five and go to the library? What? What? Those are all things we need to consider. Also, there are reasons for not wanting us to pray. Don't have to always be ungodly. Sometimes it's just what it is. And so if you want to pray by that time, you either take permission or you step out. Do you get what I'm saying? Um, but if it's your own personal prayer, then you must also learn to pray in a way that does not constitute a nuisance. I'm married, like you all know. <laughs> and sometimes I have to wake up really early, especially on um, Saturday slash Sunday. I have to wake up really early to pray. Do you understand what I'm saying? But my wife is still sleeping. It would be unfair of me to just wake up. Hey! <laughs> right? The woman is still sleeping. Now, if she complains, does that make her ungodly? No. And does it mean I'll, I'll be compromising? No. It just means that I have to be careful, you know, so I had to master praying under my breath and still praying fervently. I had to master praying calmly and praying fervently. Now, if it's a case where she has people over in the room and they are making a lot of noise and you want to pray, you have every right to turn and say, guys, please reduce the noise or leave my room because I paid for the room. It is my room after all. But please reduce your noise. Do you get what I'm saying? But... You're not making a compromise if you say, okay, you know what? She wants to rest. Let's take the prayer outside. It's not a compromise. It's just civility. You're, you're accommodating someone else who paid for the room. Does that make sense? All right. Um, who was the next person? Okay, PF. I apologize that we're taking your time. I really do. But I, I hope you guys are enjoying this. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Uh, good morning, sir. So the question I had is about, um, so for some people, uh, or people like me, we interface both with the Christian circle and secular, all that. And so um, from time to time, like I've had cases where I've met with people and, you know, taking pictures, but I can't post the picture because what this person stands for is quite a bit. Yeah, but at the same time, I ask tell people, oh, I've worked, or I'm, God is doing a great in our lives, you know, so stuff like that. So how how does one go about um, identifying with the secular world? All right. So um, the society we live in now allows us to have multiple personalities. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can comfortably now in the day and age that we live be Pastor Finn and also be Finn, the badass designer. You know what I mean? And so, 
you can create, and this is one solution. This is this may not even be the ideal solution, but you can create um an allowance in your persona, that is in people's perception of you, to allow for them to understand that I have to work with these kinds of people from time to time. But even there, there must be certain lines that you will draw. You see, there are secular people who are just secular. Nothing wrong about them. And for those, please feel free to post a picture every now and again. I mean, it's fine. But for people who are openly against what the gospel stands for, in those cases, even when you do work for them, I don't think it's something just for your own sake that you want to put out. I'll give you an example. I design, or I used to, I'm a very terrible designer now because I've stopped for a while, but I used to design and I used to be good at it. So I was leading a design team where I worked in Abuja. And some of you know this story. And so this particular day, my boss walks into the office. Okay, hi. I'm like, hi. And he's like, there's this client, he sends this job, check your email, I check my email, and the client says he wants to do a bachelor's party. Okay, great. And so some clients just tell you, do a flyer, come up with something, let me see. But not this guy. This guy was very specific. He said, I want flyer to be XYZ color. I can work with that. I want this to be written on the flyer. I can work with that. I want a stripper on a pole, you know, somewhere in the flyer. Okay, let's work. Now, if you know anything about graphics designing, I don't have to go and take a picture of a stripper on a pole. So, what's my next solution? You open Google and search for stripper. <laughs> so, imagine what it was like to walk into my office and like, Pastor, okay. <laughs> and, and I was openly Christian in my office. I mean, my office didn't have devotions till I came. My boss, because I would come very early, and I didn't say I wanted to do devotion, but I would come very early in the morning and sit at my work table and read my Bible. And my boss noticed it, and he called me and said, I want you to start doing devotion in this office. You are now our chaplain. I said, okay, sir. So now I've finished leading morning devotion in the office. We've prayed, we've had morning meeting, and then you open my door. Stripper on a pole. So now, imagine... Because then I used to post my works on my Instagram page, right? Because how, how else do you get people to know that you work? So I used to post my designs, my flyers, the logos I do, all of that. I used to post them on my Instagram page. I've now taken them down for those of you that want to see. And then imagine if I finished this and the flyer came out looking nice. I will not lie because I was a good designer. And I'll say, well, it is still my work. So I carry that flyer and I post it on my Instagram page. Many of you won't be here. <laughs> right so yeah you can identify with secular artists let me let me speak let me see if i can speak more specifically you're a music artist you do something with name a secular artist no to me that is on the brighter side of the spectrum let's go deep let's go deep i don't know no please if you do anything with It's not just for moral sake. People will think you are a <laughs> I'll just, 
I'm jokingly serious. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, someone like um, Omale, I don't know. Or John Bellion. I listen to John Bellion. So, no, please don't. <laughs> but just people who generally have a good public perception. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. The others, if they are so big that they affect the, the doors that can open for you, then on a need-to-know basis, would you sprinkle their names all around? But for the ones who are not on a need-to-know basis, like just people who have a general public persona that is okay, you can, you can actually do good stuff and put it out there. I think, I think the church will achieve part of the influence we're trying to achieve when we can collaborate with secular artists on our own terms. On our own terms. And the only way we can make that happen is if we are not ashamed to be identified with those that have a good public persona. I mean, um, CCI did um, once invite Johnny Drill for a young and free, and he got a lot of backlash. You know, they got a lot of backlash for not Johnny Drill, CCI themselves. And I'm, I'm like, the guy is as decent as decent goes. What do you want from him? You know, but so I think it's okay. All right, did I have someone else after PF? Was it you? It wasn't you. Who's, sorry, it was Kingsley. I will allow Kingsley, then I will check time. Because time has finished. This is past 12, you guys. Nice shoes. It's your people. Don't look at me. You're immediate. I <laughs> right, talk, talk. I, I, let me, I can bet that Mecca is doing this thing deliberately. <laughs> All right, talk. <laughs> the question is related to Anzon. So, but this time, a married Muslim. Okay. Because you have to bear in mind that, like you said, you lose the family. And this is somebody that is married, has children. And then while you're preaching, she's like, do I want to lose my family over you? And she's like, no. So, how do you evangelize to such? Pray. Honestly, pray. This is a situation that you keep talking and you keep praying. The only way out of this. All right, that was quick. So I'll take one more. Let me have it. Because she raised her hand since. Sorry. She has been raising her hand since that. Please consider me, Lord. Consider me, Lord. All right, so now we have considered you. President, how do you um, criticize Christian content without dishonoring the minister? For better context, let's say you write a book, and I think. The book is Thank you for using me for context. I really appreciate it. And I don't think the book is great. Or oh, you sang a song and I think maybe you went off. And then everybody on Twitter is like, oh my God. And I'm like, guys, I don't think this song is nice. How do I do it without bashing you? Like, I really want to say my mind, but I don't want to dishonor you. I, I think you can say it with your chest. Just, you can go and sit down. You can say it with your chest, but just be polite. Do you understand? Be polite and say it to their chest. And don't expect them to receive it with open arms like, oh, thank you so much. No. So expect the bash back, right? Expect the Christian community to say you don't have honor, you lack honor. But say it with your chest. It's important because 
someone like me, I don't, I don't really hear praises. I, I, Bishop Oyeniko trained me indirectly, and the man doesn't hear praises, so I don't. I, when people tell me, hey, you are so nice, and thank you. I don't really hear it. I don't commit it to mind. So if I release a project, I want to hear all the, ah, you were flat here, you didn't do this well here. This was a dry story. I want to hear all of that. I'm not the type of person that would be down because you told me it was bad. I mean, it's your opinion. If, if, it, if I decide that it matters, it will matter. But I want to hear that. And so it's important that we do have honest criticism. That's another thing. We have echo chambers in the body of Christ. Somebody releases the work, and the work was not all that. Then you're not hearing, my God, devil is in trouble. Which trouble? You... Well, thank you for the question. Just do it with your chest and do it politely. All right, Nifesi. Nifesi's question is the last one. Don't raise your hand again. <laughs> I want to um, just piggyback on the question of the last lady when she said the lady committed suicide. So it's a very honest question. I've been puzzled about it. Do people who commit suicide go to hell? Or is that no. Suicide? People who commit suicide don't go to hell. Are we confused? If, if, okay, okay. Let's start like this. Why or what takes people to hell? What takes people to hell? Unbelief, right? Okay. Does suicide nullify belief? You guys, you guys just have a bias. That's, that's exact. Okay, 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 okay. Let me, let me take it to an extreme, a little bit. If a person dies on an abortion table, a believer, does she go to hell? I love Christians. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening. All right. All right. All right. Ho hold on. Hold on. There are three options. There's yes. There's no. There's I don't know. <laughs> the question remains, if a lady dies on an abortion table, like she went to do an abortion procedure and she dies in the process. Does she go to hell? No. Hold on, hold on, ladies and gentlemen. If your answer is yes, raise your hand. Uh, so why were we murmuring? <laughs> okay, okay, your answers but right there at the back, your answer is yes. All right, your answer is also yes. All right, put your hands down. If your answer is no, raise your hand. Fantastic stuff, fantastic stuff. Lovely, lovely. Put your hands down. If your answer is that I don't know, <laughs> raise your hand. All right, put your hands down. This is a very good time to announce this. In 2023, we are going to do heavy doctrinal teachings in church. 2023 will be a heavy teaching year. I'm talking back to back because people's answers are funny. <laughs> 
How is a person saved? How is a person saved? Is there any addition to that? So, okay, okay, maybe I went too extreme with the abortion thing. If a man dies on the bed of fornication, this is an extreme case. It's an extreme case. There is no reason, please pay attention. The reason why I'm, I'm using these cases, and I would never be one of those preachers that will say, I'm so saved if I die on the bed. You're an irresponsible person if you talk like that. But suicide is an extreme case. So I want to give an answer. I want to help you see the answer to the question. If a man dies on the bed of fornication, or no, let me not say man, because many of you say yes, he deserves it. So if a woman dies on the bed of fornication, does she go to hell or heaven? A Christian lady. I mean, now, for all, for the purpose of, please pay attention, for the purpose of this example, she struggled, she had a, a habit, fell into a temptation. So this is, a, this is purely a temptation. This is not something she has made a lifestyle. Before they say that Poco is encouraging, I'm not, if I catch you, <laughs> I'm not encouraging it. But if it does happen and she dies, let's go again. Heaven, raise your hand. Put your hand down. Hell, raise your hand. Please, it's your chest, though. Hell, raise your hand. All right. Now we don't. We have fewer hands. All right. Put your hands down for those of you that did raise your hand. I don't know. Really? <laughs> the doctrine of salvation that we preach is that a man is saved by faith in Christ alone. Do you understand that? And that the Holy Spirit seals that salvation experience. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit seals. What does it mean? He protects and preserves that salvation experience. The Bible says that he's able to keep us from falling and present us blameless. Which means that... A major part of going to heaven, in fact, understanding how heaven works, means that you know that the only way I get to go to heaven is by the Spirit of God inside of me, nothing else. And so if nothing else contributes to my going to heaven, those other things cannot take away from... Do you get what I'm saying? This is the reason why... Paul warns consistently in scripture because this message has, it has, is a double-sided sword, right? The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a double-sided sword because it's a discerner of thoughts and intents. How so? If my problem before I heard the gospel's message was that I am sinful beyond measure and I need help because I am scared here. My sin won't let me stand before God. The gospel brings an assurance to my heart that don't worry. The Holy Spirit is working on your sinful nature. He's creating the goodness in you. But rest assured, you are going to make it to heaven. But 
Remember, it's a double-edged sword, and it descends between thoughts and intents. One side of the thoughts and intents is what I've just described. The other side is if you were looking for an excuse for sinfulness, the gospel will reveal it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the goodness of God, Romans chapter 6 tells us, is supposed to lead us to repentance. And so if we glimpse the goodness of God and it doesn't lead us to repentance, it reveals that we have been unbelieving all the while. Do you get get it now? So if someone hears what I'm saying and says, well, anything we do counts, you are an unbeliever. So Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. He's not saying, ah, it's not something you should do. He said, how can we who are dead to sin be alive in it any longer? Which means that we're not going to continue in sin that grace may abound. It's not an instruction. It is a life. I'm already dead to sin. I can't be both dead to sin and alive in sin at the same time. So it's not a thing that's a possibility. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, so now, having said all of this, because I felt the need to create the balance, we must hold fast to the assurance of salvation that we have received. And we mustn't let anything shake it. So, no, a person who commits suicide, he did something wrong, committed a sin before God, but he's not going to hell for it. If at all he was saved before he did so. When he stands before God, he will give account for it. He will explain why he did it. But it's not going to, after giving an account, God will say, no, no, there's no, don't bother. See, there's no explanation you want to give me. I gave you life. life can, you, can you give life? I, and you took, go, go to hell, please. That's not going to happen. Are you following? So we must have an assurance of salvation that is unshakable. And the assurance of salvation that we have must lead us to righteous living. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, the mentality should be that he died for all that they which live should henceforth no longer live for themselves. That's the mindset. Are you following? So the mindset is, um, I've been buried with him in baptism that I may be raised with him in the newness of life. Do you get it? So, Yes, I have sinful tendencies, but I've been buried with him in baptism. So the old man is dead, but yes, um, there, there may still be an outworking of a previous nature in my flesh. But guess what? I can, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Do you follow? In fact, in fact, the way Paul said it is if you by the Spirit mortify. The work of a mortician is not to kill. The work of a mortician is to keep dead what was dead. Are you following? So a mortician might be in a morgue and a, a body starts to experience rigor mortis and then some parts become stiff and, you know, begin to move. It happens. People say it happens, right? But the mortician's job is not to kill. The thing is already dead. It's to keep dead what is dead. Do you get what I'm saying? So it says, by the Spirit, you mortify the deeds of the flesh. Why? The flesh is already dead. But just like a, a dead body might once in a while have movements very close to its death time, the, the flesh will still play out those workings of a previous nature. But by the Spirit, the Spirit is the mortician you put to death or death the, the deeds of the flesh. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, 
because of all of this, we have an assurance of salvation. That God is working in me both to will and to do of his divine pleasure. So I can trust all of that. However, if I do slip up, I also still have an assurance of salvation that I have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. Are you getting me? So if a man does commit suicide, and I'm saying, listen, please don't. But if a man does commit suicide, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen? Amen. Ah, but pastor, aren't you giving people permission to commit suicide? Whether I say what I said or not. The people that want to commit suicide, commit it. Please, if you're thinking of committing suicide, talk to someone. Um, see a friend. Talk to a therapist. If you don't have anybody to talk to, talk to me. I'm always available, okay? But let us not nullify the gospel's message because we feel it will do harm. Or it will, don't, amen? amen? Is it clear? Yes, sir. Any questions on this? All right, thank you. Stand up, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for, again, the privilege of fellowship. Thank you because we can gather together like this and talk to one another in the way the Bible has prescribed for us to and grow together. Be glorified in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that the words that we have heard will stay with us and even shepherd us in the name of Jesus. Spirit of God, we pray that you give us wisdom, godly wisdom, to navigate through this world and this earth while we, were, while we are here. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen and amen. All right, sit down. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.